The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. Hello and a big welcome to this episode of Climate Matters, being first broadcast on Monday the 13th of February, the day before Valentine's Day, and in a moment you'll see why that's significant. I'm Lindsay Wood, I'm the Director of Climate Strategy Company Resilience Limited, and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, here I'm going to run through what we're going to cover today. And first of all, here's why Valentine's Day is important. I'm going to start with a poem by Rupi Kaur, uh, an Indian-Canadian poet. And uh, I actually covered that a couple of years ago in Climate Matters, but it's well worth sharing again. And then also we have an episode of Climate Matters number 88, which is unashamedly focused on energy on surplus energy, on the fact that the economy is an energy economy, not a money-based one, and what will happen if surplus energy declines as it is. Is there any good news in the energy front? Well, yes, there is. We'll give you some examples of that, and we'll finish with a little snippet on a fascinating and rather disturbing little standoff between a power company and an eagle's nest in California, and then, of course, we'll have a hot tip. So anyway, let's start with the poem by Rupi Kaur. Now, Rupi Kaur is an Indian, as in the subcontinent in Asia. She's an Indian living in Canada. She is known for her visceral and remarkably apt poetry. And this particular one is her love letter to the world. I don't think it was written for Valentine's Day, but that is totally the right day to, I think, acknowledge it. The necessity to protect you overcame me. I love you too much to remain quiet as you weep. Watch me rise to kiss the poison out of you. I will resist the temptation of my tired feet and keep marching with tomorrow in one hand and a fist in the other. I will carry you to freedom. And I would like particularly to dedicate that to all the other people who resist the temptation of their tired feet and keep marching, because I can assure you, if you haven't done it, that when you're on the the climate advocacy journey, it is um, one that requires a lot of persistence and at times opposition from people you'd think think you'd be trying to help, but that's another story. Anyway, thank you, Rupi Kaur, and uh, no doubt you'll hear that another time from me, but now it's time to move on to... Climate Matters number 88, and here we go with that. Well, my editorial, the, the banner I had across the top said, if you're not interested in well-being, skip Climate Matters 88, because it's on energy. And of course, the, the inherent paradox in that is that 
energy is central to our well-being. I've often said I'll give you more on energy from time to time. Well, this is one of the focuses. I'm sure it won't be the last one. I also, this is not that relevant for radio listeners, but I had to eat a bit of humble pie on Climate Matters 88 because Climate Matters 87, I accidentally sent out the PDF copy as a draft with a whole lot of unedited stuff at the back of it. So there was an apology for that. And then I, there was also a brain teaser, and you can think about this while you're listening through, and we'll come to the answer at the end. Why is the date 1769 a critical date for climate? Why is 1769 a critical date for climate? We'll come back to that later. Now to energy, surplus energy, that's in quotes, it's a, it's a term. Surplus energy drives society, is the fount of civilization, underpins lifestyles and wealth, and also most natural systems. But it's in decline, at least the energy that we are using, our primary sources of energy, the surplus energy is in decline. We're spending more energy to get the energy we need and have less left to do the things we want to. Which means we ought to be thinking about low energy societies. Low energy societies can work well. It would be really great if we learned how that happened before we were struck with the problem too forcibly because there are plenty of suggestions or cases being made that we're already on that journey to some degree. So here's the first item, energy, the elixir of life. The question, what is the difference between a subsistence existence and a flourishing civilization? What's the difference between a subsistence existence and a flourishing civilization? And the answer, which I'm sure you've guessed by now, is surplus energy, also known as net energy gain and a few other technical terms. Basically, we need a certain amount of energy to get the energy we need in the first place, whether it's food to eat, whether it's firewood to keep us warm, whether it is um, getting oil to put in our car if you still drive a fossil fuel car, etc., etc., a dam to generate electricity. We need energy to get energy in the first place. If we don't need all of that energy, in other words, we have a surplus, that first allows us to attend to the necessities of life, what is sometimes called essential services, like cooking and making shelter and making clothes. And if we have even more energy left, then that lets us do other things, like making music or organising society, having a lifestyle or providing advanced education, all the things that we might think of as our civilised society. So that's why surplus energy is important. Of course, if we needed more energy to get it in the first place than we extracted, then of course we would pretty soon give up on that venture because we would be winding it, needing to pour energy in rather than get energy out. So we, that leads us into the next question. The economy is based on money, right? We all tend to talk of it that way, but think again. There's plenty of evidence the economy is at the call of energy and not the other way around. And I'm quoting here, in conventional economics, energy is considered derived demand, just one of many inputs 
to an activity. That's what retired professor of power engineering Pat Bodger told me in an interview I did with him last year. You might have heard it on this program. And Pat it was a, a researcher in this field from way back in the 1980s. And then he carried on, energy is not a derived demand of the economy. It is, let me emphasize, he said, let me emphasize energy underpins all economic activity in human society. There'll be another link to that podcast if you want. There are a couple of diagrams in there which I won't be able to post on the Fresh FM website on changes in energy return, but um, you'll just have to look for the hard copy if you want to see those. So if available surplus energy is in decline, what happens then? And it is, as the diagrams illustrate fairly clearly. Well, if the surplus energy, that is what's left for us to use after we have extracted or accessed the energy, if the surplus energy is in decline, our society becomes more constrained. Initially, the constraint will apply to our discretionary activities, aka lifestyle, all the things that are absolutely not essential, then a contraction of essential services, not necessarily one then the other, but with a predominance on the non-essential first. Climate Matters 85 had a little snippet on the little blue penguin, which is experiencing the same loss of its vitality as a colony because of the difficulty in accessing its energy supply. We're already likely experiencing those effects without necessarily connecting it with the energy. For example, less affordable housing, escalating income inequality can both be traced back to the declining surplus energy of our energy supplies. And here I'm quoting again, this time from Tim Morgan, a, a, an international energy economist. Shops have been locking up more everyday items, was a news item that he commented on, and what he had to say was that this was energy-related and was a manifestation of the struggle to afford even the essentials. So here we have a case where there is perhaps a, people are struggling even more to get the essentials they need and therefore are more inclined to, for example, steal them from supermarkets and who can blame them in one sense. I'm not advocating that, but if you can't even afford the essentials of life, then you, your options are getting pretty reduced, aren't they? But I've dumped a fair bit of um, tough news on you. Is there no good news? Well, actually, yes, there is. Here are three examples. Good news number one, we're extravagant in the extreme with energy. Just think about rush hour traffic. Zillions of people sitting on their own in an energy-consuming vehicle when there's so many better ways in terms of energy of doing that. So there's lots we can let go of without that much hardship and often with improved well-being. If we could get rid of traffic congestion, we'd have less air pollution, people would spend less time in cars, we would have fewer accidents, etc. And here's good news number two. We, as in our present era, would be pretty arrogant to think that no one before us, i.e. those with lower energy societies, was as happy as us, i.e. high energy consumption isn't a key to happiness. If you are absolutely 
at subsistence level and struggling to make ends meet, then extra energy availability will lift your ability and your quality of life. But after you've got the essentials, extra energy does very little to improve your level of well-being or happiness. There's research around that by various organizations, the World Bank, United Nations and others. And here's good news number three. There are many advances in energy efficiency, they're technical advances, but they're a help to us coping with this declining energy. They're not affixed to the problem. I'm thinking of things like um, LED lights, of photovoltaic panels, of electric vehicles and so on. But let me lead into a quote from an insurance risk analyst called Gail Tverberg. And she had a post called Wind Turbines, Photovoltaics and Electric Vehicles Can't Solve Our Energy Problem. And here's what she had to say. Empty shelves are likely to become increasingly prevalent and more distant countries will tend to get cut out of the distribution of goods. Just think about that last one. Where is New Zealand? We're at the very end of the supply chain. And where is Nelson? The Nelson region is one of the most remote economies in New Zealand. In fact, it's one of the remote, most remote economies in the world. Let me just repeat that. More distant countries will tend to get cut out of the distribution of goods. That has a direct connotation for us. Now, I mentioned a, a question about a conflict with eagles, and the, the heading I've chosen for that is a quick energy fix or cherish nature. That's not how the problem should be framed. And I quote from The Guardian. There'll be a link on the website at Fresh FM. The Guardian reports a nail-biting standoff between California's Pomo Indians and environmentalists and a power company called Pacific Gas and Electric. And what was the standoff over? It was whether a pair of iconic protected bald eagles had abandoned their nest or not because the power company wanted to cut it down. The eagles had returned year after year to the same nest, but the planners had ruled that the tree could be chopped down if the eagles weren't back by mid-January, i.e. they would have decided that that would determine whether they had abandoned the nest or not. They were back just in time. But why do we subject nature to such brinksmanship, especially when you think January is the middle of the Californian winter? Surely it's not a time when they have a very high risk of forest fires, i.e. why don't they wait a bit longer <laughs> and give the eagles more time, or better still, do one of the other things that they undertook, and that is reroute the power cables another way. However, nothing is as simple as you might think, because the power company is increasingly under pressure to mitigate possible forest fire risk by trees falling on power wires. Now, we're running a little bit over time, so I will need to finish quickly. But we've not before. First of all, I give you the hotter tip. And that's the hotter tip for a cooler planet. Not surprising an energy one. Ask yourself this question. If I had to live with 75% of the energy, what would I let go of? And when you're contemplating it, just think of things like 
housing and flying and food and clothing, as well as the obvious things about turning off lights and that sort of stuff. And then I said I'd give you the answer to the question of why is the year 1769 important for the climate? And 1769 was the year James Watt patented the first truly efficient heat engine, ushering in the fossil fuel era, which enabled fuels like that to be converted into mechanical work. And so the significance of that, and you'd certainly see it if you could see the diagrams on the hard copy of Climate Matters, is that that was the, opened the floodgates, as it were, for us to use more and more fossil fuels and, of course, put more and more carbon dioxide into the atmosphere from burning them. So on that note, I'm going to finish. Thank you so much for your company. I do hope I enjoy it again next week. And, of course, as always, Kia Kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the Top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.